Good evening, everybody. Hello. <laughs> I hope y'all are doing well. I know uh, for some of us it's already been a long week. But um, thank you for coming out again and giving us your time. Uh, you must really be enjoying the presentations. Amen? Do y'all like studying Bible prophecy? Yes. Yeah? Well, that's great because I have a really great announcement I think you're going to like. And that is that um, starting Tuesday, every Tuesday night here in this church, we will continue studying Bible prophecy. We're going to continue studying through the books of Revelation and Daniel and Matthew and other very important prophetic books and passages in the Bible. And we're going to do this every Tuesday night at 6.30 here in the church. And we'll be studying topics like a new world order. We'll be looking at one of the most amazing time prophecies in the entire Bible. Um, we'll also be studying the man of Revelation, who is none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll be studying the planet in upheaval. How do we know that we are really at the end of time? How, where, what are the signs in the Bible that help us to understand that? We'll be looking at the Battle of Armageddon. Have you ever heard of the Battle of Armageddon before? Yeah. yeah. What does the Bible actually say about these things? So we'll be studying these and many other topics, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse as well. And so there's a total of about 22 presentations on Bible prophecy. So um, I, you should have all gotten a little flyer as you were coming in that says Revelation on it, and it has the date and the time and the topics. If you didn't get one, did everybody get one of those? Did anybody not, did a family not get one of those? So we can make sure that you get one. Okay, there in the back. Okay, so we have a couple families here. We'll get you a flyer. So, uh, please, I want to invite everybody to come out on Tuesday nights at 6.30 right here in the Mount Pleasant Church. So, that's my plug, and we're going to pray, and as we pray tonight, I want to say a special prayer for a pastoral friend of mine, uh, Richard Rose, a very, very good man. He's in a church not too far from here. He's... He lives in Athens, Texas, and his wife is uh, in the hospital, not doing very well. Um, and so we're going to pray for her. Her name is Terry. And uh, we're going to pray God's grace to be with, with them and that his will would be done in whatever's going on uh, in her life, her health. And so does uh, let me just see a show of hands if anybody else also has some kind of special request tonight for a family or friend or if you just would like a, a prayer uh, and you don't have to announce it. You just raise your hand right there. God knows who you are if you have a special request. Okay, let's pray. God in heaven tonight, we want to thank you again for your word and we, we know that we are living in very exciting times. Uh, and it's time to be ready for Jesus to come. We we can see that in the world in which we live. And so we are reminded often um, of the world in which we live. And I want to pray for uh, Miss Terry tonight, that your grace would be upon her as she's there sick in the hospital in Tyler and not doing well. God, we lift her up to you tonight. Please 
be near to her and and her family. And we just pray most of all for her faith and walk with you. And I want to pray for every person here tonight who raised their hand. You know, God, what their needs are. You know what's happening in their homes and at work with their family, finances, friends, health, whatever it is, God, you know. And so we ask that you would minister to each situation according to your will and in your perfect loving wisdom, God, we ask and pray in sovereignty. God, may the grace of God be upon each one who raised their hand here tonight and those, even those who did not. Please be with each one. God, so we lift these up to you. We want to ask your blessing upon Pastor Tim as he presents the message tonight. And also, God, uh, please open our hearts as well. Please, again, we pray, guide us with your spirit and help us to see Jesus. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Tonight's topic, Tidings from the East and the Mark of the Beast. Tidings from the East is Daniel 11, Mark of the Beast, Revelation, but it's the same point in the prophecy, just right at the end, all right? They go together. So, in our last presentation, we talked about this Islam-Christian conflict, and Jerusalem gets caught in the middle. And it is very much caught in the middle at this very time. So we have these three conflicts. We're in the third one. Radical Islam's going to go down. Moderate Islam follows papal-led Christianity. And then papal-led Christianity goes down. We're looking at what's going on right in between them now and that little time period. Don't know how long it is. There are no time prophecies here. But once we hit this one, everything can be expected to go pretty quick. It says like a whirlwind. Whirlwinds are usually pretty fast, right? So we can expect it to go quickly in this time period. People have always asked me, Tim, how long is quick? I don't know. That was hundreds of years. That was 400 years. This one's not going to be hundreds of years. This one's going to be a lot quicker. It could happen blindingly fast. So we're looking at Daniel eleven forty four and 45. These are the last moments of the king of the north before it comes to its end. It does end at the end of verse 45. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. The king of the north has just beat the king of the south, but now news from the east and the north troubles him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. See, he just took down the king of the south. Who's left? God's people that get stuck in the... Middle are what's left. Um, That's why at the very end, they're either in the Lamb's Book of Life or they're following the beast. That's only those two options. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. When it looks like he won, he loses What is the news from the east and the north? First to the east, we find some hints in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 43 verses 1 through 9 talks about it. Afterwards, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. 
His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. So when you get this message from the east, it's going to make the earth shine with glory. If you know Revelation, that ought to be ringing some bells. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Nor more, no more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings by their harlotry. All right, that sounds a lot like Revelation too. But it also has this thing. Uh, Jerusalem is the place of his throne and the soles of his feet. As soon as Satan knows where God is intending to put his throne, where do you think Satan wants to be? Jerusalem. Why do you think the king of the south wants Jerusalem? Why do you think the king of the north wants Jerusalem? That's going to be God's spot, and Satan wants to preoccupy God's spot. You know, Jerusalem means city of peace. (laughs) But eventually it will be when God's throne is there. And it will be there at the end of the thousand years. Because he brings the new Jerusalem down and God himself has his throne there. Then it will be a city of peace. But until then, it's caught in the crossfire. They defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed. Therefore, I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put their harlotry and their carcasses that are kings far away from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. When you start mixing church and government, church and state, kingdoms, God looks at these kings and goes, oh, have you ever been around some church leaders and an important political figure comes to the church and they're all excited? God looks at the kings and says, get their carcasses out of here. <laughs> because it's really dangerous when politics and religion start mixing. Always has been. So we have tidings from the east. It's a message from God that makes the earth glory glow with glory and it's about getting rid of abominations and being ready to meet Jesus really is what it is Uh, king of the north I mean not king of the north news from the north Ezekiel 44 in the next chapter also he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple so I looked and behold the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord and I fell on my face and the Lord said to me son of man mark well see with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Lord and all its laws Mark well who may enter the house and all who go out from the sanctuary. Now say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, let us have no more of all your abominations. Both of them are about God's glory and they're both about getting rid of abominations. Hmm. In Revelation, east is the direction of the sealing angel. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth, the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So before the sealing angel does its work, there's this message from the east, really. What's the direction of Jesus' return? It's from the east. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus is coming from the east. There's a message right before that from the east to get people ready to meet him. Ezekiel says that you, there's a message to make the earth glow with glory and it get rid of abominations. That's getting ready to meet Jesus. It's all fitting to me. 18, chapter 18 of Revelation, you have a voice from heaven 
and the earth is filled with glory and light and a final powerful warning. It's combining Ezekiel's east and north idea. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen and has become a dwelling of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This is the same idea as in Ezekiel, isn't it? And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Just before the plagues, God calls his people out. And it fills the earth with glory. Hmm. So just before the destruction of the king of the north, the papal system, God sends a warning message to get away from the papal system and all of its abominations or false teachings. Now, it's tidings from the east and tidings from the north. Uh, Edom, Moab, and Ammon are directly east of Jerusalem. So when the king of the south goes down, there's a group of Muslims that come together with God's Israel because they're delivered. They escape. What we just read in Revelation, out of the north, out of Babylon, which is the king of the north, God calls a remnant. God's calling a remnant out of Islam. He's calling a remnant out of papal-led Christianity. And together, they will proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior and the Bible as the authority. Now, get an idea that at this time, radical Islam is gone. Moderate Islam is following papal-led Christianity. The 1040 window, that part of the world that's been so hard to share the gospel is in will be wide open. And God's remnant out of Islam, God's remnant out of Christianity, together will be able to share the warning message like never before, get ready to meet Jesus Christ. It's going to be the best evangelistic opportunity of all time. It's going to be a blast. Uh, it won't be a safe time, but it will be wonderful. I can tell you, some of the best times I've ever had sharing the gospel came with death threats. And, uh, oh, it was worth it. <laughs> but news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. That group of Muslims and Christians that are trusting in Jesus in the Bible are saying, hey, the king of the north is the counterfeit. Don't follow them. Hey, if you have a counterfeiter and you identify them, are they going to be happy or angry with you? They're going to try and shut you down, right? Before you can tell everybody and you start telling everybody they're going to be really angry with you. And so the counterfeit king of the north, because God's actually a true king of the north in scripture, the final counterfeit, papal-led Christianity, is furious and he's going to go out to destroy and annihilate many, those that are sharing the tidings from the east and the tidings from the north. Get ready to meet Jesus. Revelation says it this way, For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. Man, I've been watching. 
And as soon as Daniel 11 started to happen, as far as you had a king of the south, five and a half weeks later, the Pope calls for war. The world has been going crazy since that time period. Uh, Culturally, financially, everything's crazy. Because Satan knows he has a short time. Once that breaks loose, he knows it's a whirlwind and he's got to throw everything he's got into it as fast as he's got it. Uh, Made the mistake of calling somebody a hymn. You know, you call a man a hymn and you're in trouble. I, I got in trouble. You're supposed to use they or them. You can't say him. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Well, I've learned it since, but I still tend to not do it. <laughs> My wife was in the bathroom at the airport. She came out and she wasn't happy. She said, see that man down there? He was in the stall next to me in the bathroom. What happens if I complain about the man being in the stall next to my wife? Does he get in trouble or do I? Is our world getting strange? I was in an airport bathroom a couple of weeks ago and there was a woman in the men's bathroom. Oh well, I guess that's just what I... That's life now. Our whole world is going crazy. Satan knows he has a short time. Who does he go after? Well, Revelation is very similar to Daniel eleven forty four. Revelation 13. Remember the mark of the beast? We've had tidings from the east. We have a message that goes to the world. But at the same time, Revelation 13 is talking about the mark of the beast. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Well, in Daniel, it's annihilate. In Revelation, it's killed. I would suggest those are pretty much the same. Let's just say you were taken captive by a terrorist and they were to ask you, would you rather be killed or annihilated? We're going to give you a choice. You want to be killed or annihilated? Which would you choose? Doesn't make a difference. It's the same thing, right? That's my point. Daniel, it's annihilate. Revelation, it's killed. Keep going. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. In Revelation, you can't buy and sell. In Daniel, it's destroy. If somebody was to take away your bank accounts, your credit card, and all the rest of it, would you think they were trying to destroy you? You know... I got a feeling of somebody was after me one time. I was paying off a home mortgage. I scraped all the money I had together, my savings and everything, and I was able to pay off my mortgage. It was close to $100,000. And the mortgage company gave me uh, an address 
an electronic address to send the payment to. I sent the payment. And it disappeared in the cyberspace. They forgot to give me a couple of digits. I didn't have that anywhere else. I was now completely broke with a mortgage. (laughs) I felt like somebody was after me. Eventually, about five or six days later, the mortgage company said, you know, uh, it's in our system somewhere. Good, find it. (laughs) And a few days later, they found it. And they said, you know, since it's been in our system, we're not going to charge you interest for the time it took. I said, really? Oh, you're so nice. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) I will never deal with that mortgage company again. (laughs) But it felt like somebody was out to destroy me, right? Daniel and Revelation, it's both about killing and destroying, not able to buy or sell or annihilate. It's the same thing. Everybody has to choose either the seal or the mark. Everybody has to choose. You don't want the mark of the beast. Just like everybody's either following the beast or in their Lamb's Book of Life. One has the mark, of mark the other has the seal. I want the seal. <laughs> but the warning for the mark of the beast is pretty, pretty tough. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Hmm. So... If you refuse the mark of the beast, you're going to get the wrath of the beast. He's going to try and kill and annihilate you. He won't allow you to buy and sell. But if you do get the mark of the beast, you're now going to get the wrath of God. See, everybody's got to make a choice. Do you get the wrath of God or the wrath of the beast? I'll tell you what. I'd rather the blessings of God and the wrath of the beast. Because the blessings of God last for eternity The wrath of the beast is a short-term thing. Choose wisely. You can't think short-term. You have to think long-term when we get to this choice. All right? Now, everybody has to choose one or the other. Now, my artist comes up with this concept. A branding iron. I don't think so. (laughs) I really don't. And he's got... God's number over there, and it's often seven. Nobody knows what any of these things would look like. I don't even think they're visible personally. Now, I've heard all kinds of things about the vaccine being the mark of the beast. I don't think so. I've had people tell me holograms on credit cards are the mark of the beast. I've heard all kinds of things. Some people say it'll be a tattoo. Some people say it'll be a little microchip. Now, all of these things could be used to enforce it. But whatever the mark of the beast is, is when you choose to make a decision that you're going to go contrary to God. Now, let me illustrate it with the credit card, with the hologram kind of thing on it. What I agree to 
with a credit card is that I'm going to pay my bills. By the way, if you pay interest on your credit card, you shouldn't have one. (sighs) Because Satan is siphoning off God's money from your account through that interest. If you pay interest, you shouldn't have one. That will keep you a debtor for life if Satan is successful. Anyway, so I don't think it's that. Anything that is contrary to God could end up being used for this. Uh, Some people, like I said, think it's a tattoo. Let me illustrate why I don't think so. Suppose it is a tattoo. And I refuse to take it, but they drug me and put a tattoo on Anyway, while I'm unconscious with the drugs. Would God go by the tattoo or what's inside? I want you to notice the mark of the beast is either on the hand or on the forehead. The seal of God is only on the forehead. Why the difference? Because you can only make the decision You have to choose for yourself to follow God. You can't follow the crowd. Actions, you can just go along with actions without really believing it. So you can get the mark of the beast. You know the beast is wrong, but you're just going to go along with him to avoid the trouble. You're going to pretend to go along with it. That's following a crowd. You can follow the crowd to being destroyed, but you can't follow the crowd for salvation. You have to make that choice yourself. So I really believe this is all about an interior choice that we make for or against God. Now, all the things that people talk about could easily be used in enforcing not being able to buy or sell. Anybody ever heard of what a solar storm can do? It's just like an you know, a electronic pulse weapon. A good solar storm could fry all our electronics and send us back to the Stone Age. In the 1840s, there was a solar storm that caused telegraph wires to catch fire, and they're much larger. You know what that would do to our (laughs) microcircuits? It would burn them up. And we had one of those in the 1800s. God could just send us back to the Stone Ages, basically, with one good solar flare, and all of a sudden it would just be, are you following the religious system or not, yes or no. And God's people would say, no. And they would be persecuted. Everybody else would say yes if they believed or not, just to avoid persecution. So it doesn't even need much technology, folks, because God's people would be honest and say no. It could be that simple. We'll see. But I looked in the Bible and looked to see what the mark of the beast and the seal of God might be and what I find some of you will like and some of you won't. However, I have a simple little thought. I'm not your judge, you're not mine. Okay? And what I want you to do is what I've always said. Check it in scripture and see if it's true. If it is, follow it. If not, ignore everything I said. Simple enough? Except I find it pretty solid. What does God say his sign is? Sign and seal is the same idea. 
Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath to be assigned between them and me that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. By the way, sanctified means to make holy, right? So the Sabbath is a sign that God makes us holy. Can I make myself holy? No. But God can. So it's a sign that he makes us holy. All right? Here it is again, Exodus 31. Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Sabbath has nothing to do with earning your salvation. It is a sign that you cannot earn your salvation. It's a gift from God. That he's the one who makes you holy. A seal contains a person's name, a biblical seal. I had a Greek teacher that got all excited. He found a king's seal in an archaeology project. And it was a king that was recorded in the Bible, mentioned in the Bible, and no one had ever found anything to prove that king existed. And my teacher found a seal with this king's name on it. He was excited. All right? It wasn't an Israelite king. It was one of the kings around there, but uh, it would have their person's name, their title, and their territory in it. So where do we find that in God's statements? Interestingly, we find it in Exodus you see, the seal was put in any kind of a legal document or something to prove that it was authentic and it was that person. It would just, a signet ring pressed into wax, more likely in ancient times in the clay. And uh, we find it in Revelation tw- or Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. There's the name title combination in the Hebrew. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. There is the territory, all of it. I like to tell people if the Hubble telescope can find it, it's God's. If an electron microscope can find it, it's God's. It goes huge one way, tiny the other. He made it all. Now, take a close look at that underlying section. Lodge it away in your brain because it's going to show up in a very interesting place in the book of Revelation. And he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, meaning he made it holy. But remember, the Sabbath is a sign that God makes us holy. He took an ordinary day, made it holy as a sign that he can take an ordinary sinner and make us holy. Who is it that Satan is mad at when he knows his time is short? Revelation 12 says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest or remnant of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. King James calls it remnant. Now, we have a remnant out of Islam and a remnant out of Christianity that come together to share God's word. That's who he's after. And what are they doing? They're keeping the commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. Oh, in that fourth commandment, right in the middle of it, it had his signature in it, so to speak. His name, his title, and his territory. And it's the one and only commandment that started with the words remember. Like, don't forget this one. 
Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. So Revelation repeatedly talks about God's people keeping the commandments. Revelation 14. What commandments is it mentioning in Revelation 14? Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. When he's talking about keeping the commandments in Revelation, he quotes from the Sabbath commandment. That's interesting. In 1 John, we get this. This is love for God to obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Some people say, oh, keeping the commandments would be a burden. No, it's not. If I don't steal, I don't have to hide from the police. That's, stealing is a burden. If you don't lie, you don't have to remember what story you told to who. It's a burden to be a liar. As a matter of fact, my wife and I were traveling home for, on a trip, and we stopped at an olive garden about two hours from home. We're sitting there eating in this olive garden, and a man walks in that lives in our city two hours away. He's got his arm around a lady that is not his wife. He thought he was far enough away. He is a church leader, but thankfully not in my church, but in a neighboring church in my city. (laughs) I know the guy quite well, though. Had worked with him on some projects. And he comes walking in and he's looking at her and she's looking at him as they walk right by my table and they don't see me. And I just looked at him and I said, Hi, Bill, what brought you here? I mean, we're about this far away. And all of a sudden his arm comes off from around that lady and he starts stammering something about his business. I had the impression that not following God's commandments suddenly became very burdensome to the guy. And you know, for quite some time afterwards, every time I saw him in town, he changed the direction on the sidewalk or whatever, go a different way. <laughs> like he did not want to talk to me. I'm thinking, hmm, I don't think I did anything wrong. I think he did. I can promise you that if you don't follow God, your life gets more complicated. So it wouldn't be a burden. It would actually be a blessing. So somebody says, well, wasn't the Sabbath changed? Well, actually, the New Testament says it wasn't. We're going to take a look at that. It's a good question, though. Actually, the writer that says the most about it is Dr. Luke. Now, that's interesting. Because Dr. Luke is a Gentile, educated guy. And if anybody was going to talk about the change of the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday, it would be this educated Gentile. But instead, he talks more about the Sabbath than anybody else in the New Testament. Let's take a look. Acts 13. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. I want you to notice something. Paul is sharing the gospel with some Jewish people at the synagogue and some Gentiles hear it. And they say, hey, we want you to share this with our friends. And notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, okay, you guys show up tomorrow on Sunday because that's the day of worship for the Gentiles. He hasn't come back next Sabbath. 
And you have Jew and Gentiles worshiping together on the next Sabbath. Here's another one. Acts 18. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. How often? Every Sabbath. And he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And you keep reading and you find out he did it. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. With Jew and Gentile. Year and a half. That's 70 some Sabbaths in a row that Jew and Gentiles were keeping in the New Testament. Isaiah tells us in the new heavens and new earth, they're going to still be keeping the Sabbath. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. And from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. He just didn't say Jewish people. He said all flesh, just like it was Jew and Gentile in Acts. Let's take a look at Luke. Somebody asked the question, well, is Saturday still the Bible Sabbath? How do I know it's not Wednesday or Tuesday or something like that? Well, let's take a look at the evidence. Luke 23. This man, Joseph of Arimathea, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Preparation day is what the Jews call the sixth day of the week or Friday. They were preparing for the Sabbath. So they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So we know we're talking about the seventh-day Sabbath of the commandment. You keep reading in the next chapter, the next verse, it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Well, the stone was gone because Jesus was gone, right? Praise the Lord. Jesus' Jesus' resurrection proved that he beat sin and death for all of us. It's a great victory. Now, so first day of the week, this happens. So let's take a look at something. The crucifixion weekend of Jesus. He dies on the preparation day now called by many Christians Good Friday, right? Because preparation day is Friday. Then he rests in the grave the next day, according to the commandment. And on the first day of the week, often called Easter Sunday, and I like Resurrection Sunday better, (laughs) okay? Uh, But on the first day of the week, he's raised. So if you really want to know where the biblical seventh day is, it should come between the sixth and the first day, And so we know where Sunday is. We know where Friday is. It's the day in between. But it gets even better. If you were to take a look at the seventh day, Jews have been keeping it all the way along. And it's definitely what we call Saturday. But there's even more. Anybody know what... The seventh day of the week is called in Spanish? Sabado. In over half of the languages on this planet, the word for the seventh day of the week is a form of the word Sabbath. That's interesting. Here's another one. First day of the week. In the Greek, it doesn't say first day of the week. In the Greek, whenever it lists the day of the week. It's first from the Sabbath, second from the Sabbath, third from the Sabbath, fourth from the Sabbath, fifth from the Sabbath, preparation for the Sabbath, and the Sabbath. 
That's in the Greek. It's translated as the first of the week because that's really what they meant. But it was all in relationship to the Sabbath. That's in the Greek New Testament. So you have all this stuff coming together and there's really no question that what we call Saturday is the biblical seventh day. Here's what Martin Luther said. For he, Jesus, died at about two o'clock on Friday and consequently was dead for about two hours on the first day. After that night, he lay in the grave all day, which is the true Sabbath. And on the third day, we comm- third day, which we commemorate now, he rose from the dead. So he just said, well, seventh day is really the true Sabbath. That bothered his friend Melanchthon enough that Melanchthon began to keep the seventh day Sabbath. In Hebrews, it talks about the seventh day. And he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And I want you to think about this for a bit. Remember the Sabbath is a sign that God makes us holy. Man, this is really neat. So, on the Sabbath, I rest from my works, right? I'm supposed to not work on the seventh-day Sabbath, not do my regular work. Why? It's reminding me not to trust in my works. The wages of sin is what? Do I want to trust in my works in God's judgment? No, thank you. Not at all. But look at this. God rested from his works. We rest from our works. What are we really doing? We're going to trust in God's works. The Sabbath is a sign that he sanctifies us. Now, I used to do construction. And I've worked in other places as well. I remember my first job that wasn't for my own family. I jokingly said I had a half-time work because it was 12 hours a day. Half day. (laughs) And uh, when it comes to Sabbath, I wouldn't work. Now suppose, and I really never got pushed too hard into this when I got pushed a little bit, but not hard, and I never had to push it too hard. But I'd say, you know, I won't be here from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. I'll leave by sundown Friday, I'll show back up Saturday night if you need me. But in between, no. I was resting from my work, trusting in God's works. But suppose my boss says, you're either here or you're fired, and I decide I really need the job. So I work on the Sabbath. I want you to notice something. Am I trusting God or me when I choose to work on it? I'm trusting me. Like God can't take care of me. Notice the Sabbath is an acted out trust relationship. Do I trust him enough to rest? Or am I going to try and take care of it myself? The Sabbath is a sign that he makes us holy, something I cannot do. It's all about helping us understand salvation in Jesus. Well, somebody says, well, God's law has been done away with. Not what Paul said. Not what Jesus said, but Paul says it this way. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Jesus said that not one jot or one tittle 
would pass from the law as long as heaven and earth exist. And as far as I can tell, earth is still here. We are. So is it. We looked at God's side for a little bit. Now let's look at the mark of the beast. I mentioned in, char- in presentation two that the eighth characteristics would be that it would try to change times and laws and fight against God's covenant and change times and law. Well, remember they said the Pope is of so great of authority and power that he can modify, change, or interpret even divine law. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of man but of God and he acts as vicegerent of God upon earth with most ample power of binding and loosing his sheep. So they claim they can change God's law. In the convert's catechism, they claim they did. Which day is the Sabbath? Notice they don't beat around the bush on this. Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. They flat out say they did it. Huh. Here's another one. St. Catherine's Church, Algonac, Michigan, their church newsletter, 1995. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. Actually, began late first century. Not early, not while the disciples were alive. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the Lord was chosen not from any direction noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. The day of resurrection, the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, came on the first day of the week, so this would be the new Sabbath. People who think that the scripture should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. That's a Catholic priest speaking. He's not right in the last part because there's lots of Sabbath-keeping groups other than Seventh-day Adventists. All right, there's... Church of God, Seventh-day, Seventh-day Baptist. There's lots of Messianic groups that are keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. Seventh-day Adventists just happen to be the largest with over 20 million members around the world. But what's going on with this? Faith of Millions by John O'Brien, another Catholic writer, says, but since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observed Sunday instead of Saturday? Yes, of course, it's inconsistent, but the change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born. They have continued to observe custom even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon an explicit text in the Bible. That observance remains the reminder of the mother church from which non-Catholic sects broke away. The Catholic Church repeatedly calls itself the mother church and all the others are their separated daughters, they call them. Wikipedia. I know it's not always the best source, but it's a simple source to use for people. Take a look at what they said in the Ten Commandments. This was back in April of 2012. Until the second and third century, most Christian groups kept the Jewish Sabbath. That's interesting. Nowhere in the New Testament does it call it the Jewish Sabbath. Some paraphrases do it, but not in the Greek. With the practice of Sunday observance emerging after the Jewish-Roman wars. That's the key right there. History means something. The Catholic Church's general repudiation of Jewish practices during this period is apparent in the Council of Laodicea, 4th century AD, where Canon 29 of the Laodicean Council specifically refers to Sabbath. 
Christians must not Judaize by resting on the Sabbath, but must work on that day, rather honoring the Lord's day. And if they can, resting then as Christians. But if any shall be found to be Judaizers, let them be anathema or excommunicated from Christ. I want you to notice, fourth century. This is not the first century. What happened? In the first century, early in the first century, when Jesus and the disciples were there, the Jews were given special religious liberties. They did not have to burn emperor, uh, incense to the emperor, which was considered emperor worship. And most of the Jews would, be, would die before they were willing to do that. They considered it idolatry. And the Jews, in making an agreement with the Romans early on, had been given an exemption from that. And when Christians come along, they're considered a part of the Judaism, as far as the Romans are concerned, and they too are given the exemptions from having to burn incense to the emperor. Good news. I mean, think about it. As far as Rome is concerned, they were using the same holy book, which is the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet until quite a bit later. Um, after the death of Jesus. The, uh, they were worshiping on the same day, and Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And so the Romans just considered them all Jewish people, Israelites, gave them the exemption. But then the Jews revolted. The destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD was a part of that revolt of the Jews against the Romans. And so when you're getting towards the end of the first century, now the Romans are furious with the Jews. They take away all the benefits of being Jewish and they give curses basically instead, which is you're not allowed to live in Jerusalem if you're Jewish or Christian because they're considered Jews by the Romans. And you can't live in a provincial capital or in the city of Rome. Whoops, got a problem. (laughs) And a lot of Christians, which were trying to be influential and get in with the government, said, hey, we're not Jews. They said, well, you're worshiping on the same day, you're the same book and a Jewish teacher. They said, oh, we can change the day. They didn't change it because of something in Scripture. They changed it because of fear and threat from the Roman government. Then, fourth century, that was first century that the change started to happen And that was only some of them, and it started in Alexandria and Rome, two provincial capitals they didn't want to leave. And now, fourth century, there are still Christians that are worshiping on the seventh-day Sabbath. They haven't made the change because they couldn't find it in the Bible. And what are they told? If you keep the seventh-day Sabbath, we're going to excommunicate you, and you're going to go to hell because the church taught if the church kicked you out, you had no hope of salvation. Get this, you follow the Bible, you go to hell. You follow us, ignore the Bible, and we'll take you to heaven. Interesting. That's how they were doing it. Fourth century Gentile Christians, writes Fredrickson, despite the anti-Jewish ideology of their own bishops, kept Saturday as their day of rest. Under his Constantine's regime, Sunday became the Christian Sabbath. So it may have started, and it did, late in the first century, but it became official in the fourth century with Constantine when he linked up together paganism and Christianity. 
Now, we have Islam attacking the United States, the United States and the papacy coming back. And what I see now is Sunday worship becomes the sign of allegiance to Christianity, just like it was back in the 4th century. Now, would the papacy ever try to enforce their mark of authority, that they change the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday? You don't have to guess. They've already put it in print. Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger was the person who put together the most recent authoritative catechism of the Catholic Church. Shortly after putting this catechism together, he changed his name to something you would more likely recognize, Pope Benedict. He's still alive. Here's what they say in his book. In respecting religious liberty and the common good of all, Christians should seek recognition of Sunday and the church's holy days as legal holidays. Whoa! He didn't say Catholics. He said Christians should try to make Sunday and the church's holy days legal holidays in respecting religious liberty. What about a Jewish person's liberty? Sorry, they just lost it. What about a Muslim person's liberty? Sorry, they just lost it. What about a Christian who worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath? Sorry, they just lost it. Just like they did in the past. They've already put in print what they want to do. In 2010, 11 years ago, there was a push in Europe from the Roman Catholic Bishops' Council trying to make Sunday a legal holiday. It was narrowly defeated. They were trying to practice what the catechism said to make it legal and force people to follow. Here's the problem. After uh, Constantine, they started using force. But you have to have a heart conversion to be real. Force is never going to bring somebody to God. That has to be a choice that we make. Although force can lead you to accept the mark of the beast in the hand, but it doesn't change the heart. Jesus said it this way, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Huh. So is this just a Seventh-day Adventist thing, the Sabbath thing, or is it from the Bible? That's something you're going to have to check out. But I will tell you this, that it didn't come from Seventh-day Adventists, the teaching. Let's go back way before there was a Seventh-day Adventist, like about 200 years earlier. And we find this book, The Seventh-day Sabbath Sought Out and Celebrated, or The Saint's Last Design Upon the Man of Sin, with their advance of God's first institution to its primitive perfection being the clear discovery of the black character of the head of the little horn, Daniel 7.25, the change of times and laws. With the Christian's glorious conquest over the mark of the beast and the recovery of the long-slighted seventh day to its ancient glory, wherein Mr. Aspinwall may receive full answer to his late peace against the Sabbath, by Thomas Tillam, Minister of the Gospel. A friend of mine found that book in the Notre Dame University Library. He told me about it. He said, man, the cover's like a book report. And he told me what was on the cover. And I said, man, I want that. Can you go get a photocopy, if nothing else, of that thing? I want it. 
And he said, okay. And I didn't get it. And I got to the point where I was sending him an email about every week. When am I going to get it? When am I going to get it? (laughs) For about a year I had to do that. (laughs) And eventually he got tired of my emails and he got me the... And he sent me a PDF of the cover of the book. And just out of curiosity, I clicked on that, double-clicked on that PDF, and the whole book opened. So I loaded it onto my web page under resources, islamandchristianity.org, if you want to read it. All right? Uh, but notice, it's got the change of times and laws, the little horn, the man of sin, the beast, all of this. I didn't make all this stuff up. They were teaching this way back there. They were teaching this in the Reformation as well. You can read it if you want, but I do have a hint for you. You need to know what an S looks like. That's an S. That's an S. That's an S. Uh, Let's see. There's first. That's an F. That's an S. They made Fs and Ss that looked alike. Tiny, tiny difference. Hard to see the difference. But if there are too many Fs, remember they're probably Ss. (laughs) Okay? Uh, But you can read the whole thing. I want you to take a close look at something else. Anybody see a picture? There are three objects here. Here's one, here's one, here's one. Here's kind of a little saucer. Here's a cup. Here's the bottom of it, the stem and the bowl of the cup. And there's something above it. Remember the coin? You have... The coin came later, by the way. The book came first. But in Revelation, you have a woman with a cup full of abominations. And the son was the greater abomination. And what did the papacy trade the day of the Sabbath and made it into the day of the sun? Just kind of interesting how it worked. What did Constantine do? When he passed the first law enforcing Sunday as the day of worship, he linked the cross with the sun worship, and there Saul, the sun god, the pagan sun god. It was all tied together. It was a political move, not a faith move. So I see it as a test of love and loyalty. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, keep my commandments. By the way, if you don't love him, keeping his commandments... Make your life less difficult, but it won't save you because you'll never be good enough to make it into God's kingdom on your own. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. The beast has a counterfeit of the Spirit, counterfeit spirit, signs, wonders, and miracles to deceive, and it has a counterfeit day. Interesting. What about people who don't know about the Bible Sabbath? Good news. Revelation 17, verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, which is Jesus. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Good news God overlooks my ignorance or your ignorance. 
Have you ever had any ignorance? <laughs> Have you ever been reading along in the Bible and go, oh man, I never saw that before? <laughs> I've done that a lot of times. <laughs> I've got the sneaking suspicion I'm not done doing it. All right? So here's the point. You do not have to be afraid of the things you don't understand yet. God does not hold you accountable for them. He overlooks our ignorance. That's good news, isn't it? As a matter of fact, in the context, worshiping idols was overlooked when they were ignorant of it in Acts 17. Okay, so he can overlook our ignorance. But he doesn't want us to stay ignorant. He wants us to keep reading, and when the Holy Spirit's ready, he helps us understand what we just read, and we're going, oh, I never saw that before. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. A friend of mine told me this story. He was a Presbyterian pastor that found the Sabbath. And he decided he was going to keep the Bible Sabbath. And can you, would you be surprised to find out he got fired? <laughs> he became a Sabbath-keeping pastor. And he, at the time he told me this story, he'd already helped over 60 pastors become Sabbath-keeping pastors. He wasn't a very good speaker, but man, was he good at one-on-one. <laughs> and he tells me this story. There was a pastor on his way home from church on Sunday afternoon. And he's driving through the neighborhood. And it was here in Texas. And as he goes through the neighborhood, he sees a guy tearing off shingles on his house to re-roof it. Anybody ever torn shingles off and put new shingles on? In Texas in the summertime, is that a pleasant job? I've done it in Texas in the summertime and we'd get off the roof when we were leaving tracks when it was so hot the shingles were melting and uh, so anyway this guy he's driving through he sees this guy working on Sunday afternoon and he stops and he gets out of his car and he walks over there he says brother don't you know that you're not supposed to be working on the Lord's Day and the guy in the roof says really how do you know that Guy, the pastor looks up at him and says, well, it says in the Bible you're not supposed to be working on the Lord's Day. And the guy on the roof says, hey, I believe the Bible. Can you show me? Pastor thinks this is going to be really easy, walks out to his car, grabs his Bible, comes back over to the edge of the roof, and he looks up at the guy and he reads from Exodus 20 that you're not supposed to be doing any work on the Sabbath, you nor your son nor your manservant nor your mate. You know, on down through it. The guy on the roof says, man, it does say I'm not supposed to be working on the Sabbath, doesn't it? pastor says, yeah, it does. Could you read that to me again? I just want to be sure. And the guy, pastor starts reading again. The guy on the roof says, whoa, whoa, stop. Didn't that just say seventh day? Wasn't that yesterday? pastor looked at the context, which is what you do anytime you get stumped. You look at the verses around it, then a page or two either way. But if... If you're right, you're going to find the answer. If you're wrong, there's not going to help you. The pastor looks up at the guy on the roof. He says, it does say seventh day, doesn't it? This guy was actually a retired pastor. He was just filling in temporarily, that church. 
And the guy on the roof says, hey, he scrambles down the ladder and he says, hey, actually, I'm a Sabbath keeper and I was just playing along with you to see where you were going to take me. Come on in, let's talk about this. And they have a Bible study on it. And the pastor makes this decision. He's always been following Jesus in the Bible and he's not going to change now. He keeps following Jesus in the Bible. He starts worshiping on the seventh-day Sabbath. Did you notice how I said that? He'd always been following Jesus and the Bible. He just had one of those, oh, I didn't see that before moments. And he just did what he always did. He followed whatever he found in the Bible. He knew right where this was. He knew all about it, but it had never clicked before. You know, just like me when I'm reading along, and it's probably the 20 or 30th time I've read that verse when I go, oh, now I know what it's talking about. (laughs) It's the same with all of us. Here's the thing. People aren't saved and lost over the Sabbath itself. They're saved or lost over how they relate to God. Do they surrender or rebel? You see, here's the good news. God knows our hearts. Here's the bad news. You know what it is? God knows our hearts. Because if you're really honestly following him, even if you're messing up a whole lot of stuff, the good news is he knows your heart. But suppose you're following almost everything there is in the Bible, but there is one part left and you're saying, no, God. Say there's a hundred things in the Bible to get right. And you've got 99 of them right. And you're saying no to God on one of them. And somebody else has only figured out one, but they're saying yes. Who's in better shape? The one that's saying yes to one thing. That proves it's not works, folks. It's all about our surrender to God with what we understand. And the Sabbath is, a, is about the sign that God makes us holy. Well, so it's not a, it's really, do we trust God or are we rebelling against him? And this is love for God to obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Hey, would you find it burdensome if your boss walked in and said, I'm going to give you 52 extra days of vacation this year? Oh man, do I have to take 52 days off? God says, every Sabbath, you get a 24-hour break to focus on your relationship with him, to rest, to focus on relationship with others, to remember he's the creator, explore his creation, build relationships with family and with other people. 24 hours to bring sanity to your life. It really works. It really does. (laughs) My daughters grew up not knowing what a sweet roll was. It's not because they never had one. They just didn't know it was called a sweet roll by most people. We called it Sabbath bread. Because every Friday, my wife would make these homemade sweet rolls. Oh, man, they're good. And Friday night and Sabbath morning, we would have these things with our meals. And the kids always looked forward to them. It was wonderful. And so you're going through the grocery store during the week, and you've got these two little girls go, you know, along with the cart. You know, kids are always asking for stuff, right? We go past the bakery section. Hey, Dad, can we have some Sabbath bread? People look at them like, huh? (laughs) 
Because the Bible says the Sabbath is supposed to be the sweetest day of them all. And so we help them look at it that way. Uh, The Sabbath can be special. If you say no to work and say yes to the things of God, if you say no to work and don't say yes to what God says to put in it, it will make you miserable. You have to follow God on this one and put in the yeses. Yes to worship, yes to fellowshipping, yes even to helping other people like Jesus did. You do the yeses and it's a fabulous one. So how does this work? How, how does this all tie in? Believe me, it does. What's the day of worship for an Israelite? Seventh-day Sabbath. But if we accept Jesus, the new covenant is with the house of Israel. We become an Israelite, Ephesians 2, when we accept the message of Jesus Christ. But the king of the north didn't want to be called Israelite or Jewish, so he changed the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday. The king of the south didn't want to be called Israelite or Jewish, changed the day of worship from Sabbath to Friday. Where did God's people just get caught if you're a Sabbath keeper? Between Friday and Sunday, you get caught in the middle. And it doesn't matter where in the world you go. You'll be caught in the middle. Have Sabbath keepers ever gotten in trouble in history? <sighs> ever heard of Hitler? <laughs> ever heard of all those other groups? Sabbath keepers have had it hard. By the way, there were Sabbath keeping Christians during the Reformation. And they tended to get killed either by the Lutherans or by the Catholics, or by the Anglicans or the Catholics. And the Muslims would go after a Sabbath keeper. It's always been a challenge, but God's people tend to get caught in the middle. What about Jesus? And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read and was teaching them on the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Bible Sabbath As a Christian, it means a follower of who? Jesus. It shouldn't mean a follower of the Pope, but a Muslim actually thinks when you hear the word Christian that it's a follower of the Pope. Paul followed the example of Jesus, shouldn't we? Just a thought that I've come to in my own life. And Hebrews says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Folks, I'm not trying to aggravate you. I'm just trying to stir you up to love and good works. Check it out for God's word and God's word. Again, I'm not your judge. You're not mine. There's going to be a tremendous amount of people in heaven that never kept the Bible Sabbath because they never had the aha moment. (laughs) God knows our hearts, but he also knows when we're rebellious, and I don't want to be rebellious. I'm not going to keep talking about the Sabbath. That's not going to be another topic, so if you're irritated with me now, you're going to love the next one. Uh, That's just the way it's going to go. I mean, I know from experience. Revelation 18, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, And God has remembered her iniquities. Yep, you could get caught in the middle, but hey, king of the south goes down, then the king of the north goes down. The only people left are those that were standing in the middle. 
I want to be as middle of, as I can get on this one. The next one is when Michael stands up. I want to tell you just briefly, this is really good news because in Daniel 12.1, it says how God delivers his people that are caught in the middle from 12.1 through 3. And you notice we have Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, Sunday night, four presentations that cover three verses. There's a lot in here. It's packed with good news about how God delivers his people. And it starts when Michael stands up. So, hey, at 9.30 Saturday morning, I'm going to do the Times of Daniel 11 and 12, which is unpacking the 1290 and 13.35 and the time prophecies of Daniel 11 and 12. At 11 o'clock, Unholy Alliances and Prophecy. You could also call it uh, Left-Right Politics and Prophecy. Could call it lots of things. Uh, Another thing I called it was Overreach and Backlash in Prophecy. So really, Unholy Alliances, I think, is the one I'm going to settle on for a while. But So I hope you can schedule to be here. I'm sorry I can't fit it into the night programs. I just can't make it. I've already been told I'm talking fast. So <laughs> I've tried to put as much in the tent as I can. And I've learned these two after I got going. And so I've kept with the 10 nights of the basics but if you want a little more, you can show up Saturday and get that. And tomorrow is when Michael stands up. Hey, for the responses, number one, yes, no, or question mark. Eventually, everyone will have to choose sides by accepting God's seal or Satan's mark. You don't necessarily have to agree with me on what the seal is or what the mark is, but eventually somebody's going to have to make a choice for God or for Satan. Yes, no, or question mark. Number two, according to the Bible, the Sabbath is a sign that God makes us holy. According to the Bible, the Sabbath is a sign that God makes us holy. Yes, no, or question mark. Number three, the seventh day was the Sabbath of Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church, God's Israel of faith. So the Sabbath was kept both by Old Testament Israelites and New Testament people in the New Testament. Number four, the papacy, the king of the north, claims that it changed the day of worship to Sunday, while Islam, the king of the south, changed the primary Islamic day of prayer to Friday, Both made the change for anti-Jewish, anti-Israel reasons. Yes, no, or question mark. And number five, because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and God's last day followers in Revelation keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus, then God's followers should keep all ten of God's commandments, including the seventh-day Sabbath. Yes, no, or question mark. And a question mark is a very fair answer. I would hope that a lot of people might want to say that. I'm going to check this out and find out from the Bible. Tomorrow night, Thursday night, I'm going to have a short question and answer period following. If you have any questions and you want to guarantee that they get covered, write them down on the back of your envelope and turn them in tonight. All right? Uh, I will start with those, and then if I still have time, I'll give an opportunity for people to just raise a hand and ask a question. So tomorrow night, question and answer. Let's close with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your love for us. And thank you that you can make us holy. Thank you that you know, our, know us, you know our hearts, and help us to be true to you in our hearts at all times. In Jesus' name we ask it and thank you. Amen.